Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a mom of three kids, ages two, five, and seven, and I live in Southern California. And I'm Megan. I am the mom of five kids, ages six through 17, and I live in Michigan. This is the Mom Hour, part of the Life Listened Network. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis here, as always, with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Megan. How are you? I'm pretty good. The weather here is nice. I'm I'm liking it. For March, I cannot complain. Early spring. Yes. Isn't it funny how we talk about the weather so often when we start the show? It just seems like one of those things everybody can relate to or yeah be, and or be I bored like, by <laughs> be bored by and I feel like you represent a big portion of the Midwest and I've got some West Coast Southwest so there've got to be people out there appreciating there's probably people listening to this weather. you know in Australia or something who are like that's true you guys this is not relevant to my life what so. is your weather like in Australia <laughs> we want to know <laughs> today we are talking about hard times in parenting something that um you know we don't really talk about a lot on this show no. we, we keep it pretty upbeat and maybe that's just because we're both in fairly upbeat periods of life. And maybe that's just because we're upbeat kind of people. I don't know. Um, but that doesn't represent the full spectrum of the motherhood experience. Or definitely. even our motherhood experience. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, matter, yeah. yeah. Just because I'm like in a good place when I talk to Sarah once a week does not mean I'm in a good place all the rest of the time. So <laughs> Agreed. And I have to confess, I like was feeling a little like worried about what we were going to talk about, talking about parenting through harder times. And I realized it's very similar to when we talked about race and racism, we kind of felt like, uh, we don't know if we're going to say the right things, but we feel like we should do it anyway. And I feel like this topic is right in that same spot where it's like, we're not mental health professionals. We know we can't talk about everything relating to hard times and motherhood, but it feels like it's better to say something than pretend things are happy and hunky dory all the time. Yeah, that's very true. And there's, you know, there's, there's all there's a big spectrum of hard times from right. like, you know, just your average everyday little irritants that build up over time to something, you know, more difficult to deal with. So we can cover a wide range. Yeah. So let's do that. Do it. But first, let's do our regular segment, which is answering the question, what's happening in your house this week? Well, I'm going to answer that with something that's kind of a bummer. 
Okay. Just set things off on the right note. Let's do it. Um, Clara has been having some really bad school-related anxiety. And it's uh-huh. come out of nowhere. And she doesn't want to go to school. She cries all the time. She comes home and is kind of obsessed with not doing things right. Oh, um, that's heartbreaking. I know. it, And she's in first grade. It's really oh. bumming me out. And I've definitely dealt with kid, you know, kid anxiety as it relates right. to school. But never at never in first grade. This is mm-hmm. new. Um, and I've talked to a lot of different parents, um, in the same school and different schools. And I'm hearing that this is becoming more common because curriculums are becoming so much more, Gosh. I don't know what the word is, I guess standardized well, isn't even the right yeah. word. Rigorous. I mean, basics, academic, right? Yeah. It's, it's all, it's, it's just becoming a lot harder, both for the teachers and for the kids. And at younger up. ages. And you at know. younger ages. So for, you know, for us. Yeah. First grade was all about like learning to read. If you don't learn to read now by the end of kindergarten, and it's right. kind of like you're already behind the eight ball. So I think that, um, I don't know, there's just like kind of a lot. We have our conference actually this afternoon. So maybe okay. I'll have something to report <laughs> yes. in, a, in a future episode. But oh, it just breaks my heart. You know, she's very sweet and very sensitive and kind of a handful at times. But, um, but it, it just, it bums me out that something that should be fun is not fun for yeah. her. Yeah. Do you ever remember having any similar? thoughts in school when you were little or that that type of stuff no no maybe social stuff more yeah I never really felt anxious about academics but I just think academics were a totally different ball of wax when we were in school it just wasn't the same thing I mean I I feel like first grade was a lot about play Mm -hmm. and you know kind of learning to get along with other kids and so yeah and and the funny thing is she does fine it's not like she can't do the work she's she does fine but she has all this built-up anxiety about maybe making a mistake so and i've you know not to get into like a big educational spiel right now but i have been reading that that's a common thing now that kids are afraid to make mistakes so they don't Mm. they don't think outside the box or they don't take risks and um that you know that's not really okay with me i'm not really sure what to do about it um but i guess this first step is going in and talking to the teacher and yeah and i feel for the teachers too because i i believe that so many of them aren't on board with oh yeah (laughs) some of these philosophies it's kind of heartbreaking for teachers too because they're they're stuck and so many of them probably could be them much better teachers if their hands weren't tied. Yeah. Wow, we could really, we could really go to town. On- <laughs> <laughs> hey, any, if anybody out there has opinions, and I'm sure, I mean, this is one of those topics that people always have opinions about. Definitely yeah. leave and us a comment. And I know we comment. have a lot of uh, teacher listeners too. Yes. So, oh, sweet Clara. I okay, well, keep us posted. I will. Um, what's what's up with you? <laughs> I know. I'm glad you shared something. Well, I have two little things, and one of them is really not that fun either. Oh, and right. that one is that my threw my back out this weekend. Oh my gosh. It happens about once or twice a year, um, and it's, I guess, related to my dance career, although I didn't have back problems when I was dancing. It was all after I stopped, mm-hmm. um, and it's like a known issue. Like I know which discs are compressed, and I know what to do to kind of get it back on track, but just going into this topic of parenting through <laughs> like crappy times, it's just, it reminds you every time how like you think things are stressful or difficult or you have a lot of laundry. And then like, if you can literally not even put on your own underwear because it hurts oh. so much to bend over, like things are just a lot harder. And it just gives you that kind of perspective on whether it's illness or injury or anything, any kind of major like handicap in that way, it just makes things a lot harder. Luckily, um, we didn't have a lot going on this weekend and Brian was home. So I basically lie around with ice on my back for 
two days, but, um, it's such a bummer. It just can really, I, I find my mood is really affected and I know I, I, I should be able to kind of rise above that, but I just get so grumpy cause I can't do anything. I can't yeah. unload the dishwasher. Yeah. I can't. So it's better today. I would say it's at like a four or a five today instead of like an eight or a nine. Um, so that really sucked this weekend. You know, and it, it, honestly, I have to say the couple of times that I've had something wrong with me that, you know, was uh, painful or whatever, it made me so have so much more compassion for people who deal with chronic pain all the agreed. time or mobility it, issues. It's so yes, frustrating. It is and so frustrating. You don't really think about how much we take our bodies for granted until right. you suddenly can't do something. Yeah. And the simple things like chores and taking care of a house, which I feel grumbly about a lot of the time, like, oh, come on guys, let's pick up this. It's right. like, I almost would love now to just schlep a bunch of loads of laundry back and right. forth. <laughs> like if I can't have, have. Being, it's like, right. I'm sorry. I ever complained about picking up toys. I now <laughs> just want to do it without being in pain. So anyway, I think I'm on the right track, but that sucked. Um, and then the other thing that made me laugh this weekend is we dyed Easter eggs, which I know it's really early, but I found a little bit leftover Easter egg dye stuff in this bin of kind of a few spring and Easter decorations. And it made me remember that you and I are totally aligned on how you should dye Easter eggs with your children. I think you even had a Facebook post about this last year, but that is if you're newer, if you have little kids and you haven't dyed Easter eggs with your children, please take this advice from Megan and Sarah. And that is open the grocery store dye kit in privacy away from your children and throw away all of the <laughs> extra things yes. that, come, that come with it. All the stickers, all the weird shrink wrap things that never work. The weird shrink wrap ones are the one. Those are just, I can't abide. I mean, a wax crayon here or there, maybe. I think we could allow for a wax. I will sometimes slip the the, the stickers into Clara's like art supplies, yeah, and she yeah. can use those at a later exactly. time. Exactly. But those shrink wrap things are useless. I don't get it. They don't work. And because They're difficult. Because love like gimmicks and shiny yes. objects and marketing madness, that that's what they go for immediately. Right. And all of a sudden, like the simple act of dropping an egg in the colored solution is like they almost care more about like the Batman shrink wraps or whatever. Yes. So um, that's a tip for all of you going into Easter season. And what's funny is uh, I had saved only the little dye pill, the little dye yeah. things and a couple of the dippers because that it had been left over from last year. So I didn't have any of the other stuff. And it was such like a it was so easy. There yeah. was no accoutrement. So yeah, little, I love that. little uh, tip. And I yeah. guess the other tip I would give is always save the dippers. Yeah. Those feel like the thing that I always need more than anything else. And yeah, never have and, enough. Yeah, of. we had two that were left over in this, um, and it worked great. All three kids could dye eggs, and they look they look pretty. And you don't need shrink wrapped nonsense. No, so. no nonsense. Just we hate fun. Remember yeah. from previous. <laughs> and half the time, like let's face it, your kid's gonna end up with an egg that's like half brown because they just throw it in like four different cups right. of color, right. and you know right. they're not in this to create. This art. is not Pinterest worthy. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh. Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. 
You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah. And let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, (laughs) and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Okay. So should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, All right. Well, we're going to talk about the hard times and that's parenting through the hard times. And I think it's kind of helpful maybe to talk about what we're talking about. Um, I think there's several things at work you mentioned. There's kind of like your regular mom funk, which Mm -hmm. is when you just kind of feel like you're in a funk or you've kind of going through one of those cycles of low energy. And you actually have written some great posts about this that I'm going to bring up as we talk. But that's kind of like one thing that we're talking about. Another thing I think that we'll probably touch on as we go is what I'll call like times of crisis or trauma. And that is when like something, whether it's like a separation, a divorce, an illness in the family, a death in the family, that's kind of, I think, a different kind of hard time. It's maybe a heightened, everything's heightened, but it might be a different, uh, it has, I don't know, not a beginning and an end, but it's it's around a specific event, I guess. Yeah. They call it, isn't uh, it situational? You know, yeah. Right? Yes. yes. Okay. So. Not a mental health professional. I don't have the right words. Um, and then I think we'll definitely touch on kind of big picture mental health challenges, which is like postpartum depression. Um, depression and anxiety and things that um, fall under that umbrella of kind of where you need support for mental health reasons, yep. but it's big or small. So those are kind of, I do feel like those are kind of the things we're talking about and it's too much to conquer in one hour, but that's kind of like. Yeah, I, definitely. Yeah. Those are the, okay. I guess those would be the three buckets I'd put it in as well. Yeah. So, awesome. and, and the thing is that sometimes one spills into the next and that's, totally. you know, you can't really do anything about that, but um but yeah, like if you're having postpartum depression, all the little irritants yes. can really build up and yes. create something much bigger than they would if you were just in kind of a normal um, stage. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, but let's, yeah, let's do it that way. It's a good way to organize it. Okay. Well, let's kind of start small and talk about the funk. Can you define a mom funk? You've, you've written oh, quite yes. a bit. I know I you mean, feel. For me, a funk feels very different now than it did Um and I thought about that. Why does a funk feel so different for me now? 
uh, with, a, you know, my youngest being almost seven and this week, by the way, and <laughs> my oldest being 18. And I think the difference is that now I can get a break from it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't literally have small people crawling on me. So mm-hmm. when I can send them off to school or whatever, it gives me a kind of a moment to hit the reset button. And that was, and when I thought about that, like what felt, why did funks feel so funky mm-hmm. five plus years ago? It was because I was in it and parenting at the exact same time and yes. there was like no escape, you know? Yeah. So for me, a funk would be those days where you just get up and nothing sounds good. Like you mm-hmm. don't want to do the things you don't really want to try that hard. You don't mm-hmm. want to make dinner. You don't really want to change the diaper. You don't want to play with your kids. Like you just, right. none of it sounds inspiring, right. fun, important or, right. or does feel important, but you just can't bring yourself to do it and yeah. you kind of spiral. Yeah. Um, no, I guess that's my, no, I think that's, that's my... a, re- I think that's a really good definition. Um, and I think like, like we said, there's a lot of times where a prolonged funk can definitely go into the territory of some bigger mental health issues, but right. it also might not. It may, right. I think one of the most helpful things is to acknowledge, and you've written about this too, that this is cyclical. Like we don't need to expect of ourselves that we're high energy and productive and like super engaged in life all the time. Right. Um, and I think acknowledging that cyclical funks are normal and keeping an eye out for bigger symptoms that might need more support, but acknowledging that cycles are normal, whether it's a six month cycle or a one week funk. Um, yeah. I they can often that... be related to weather for me and honestly, uh-huh. um, hormone, like hormone, hormones. That's how I pronounce <laughs> the word hormones now. Le hormone. Le hormone. Uh, hormonal cycles. You know, I think that's also yeah. something that sometimes we don't pay that close of attention to, yeah. but can have a huge effect on how we feel about regular life. Yeah. Well, and I think something that can come with a funk is, is just a lot of resistance to use some pop culture lingo yeah. and feeling like I got to get out of this or I yes. got to get over this. Failure. And then yeah. some guilt about yeah. now, you know, I'm, if I'm not at my best, I'm screwing up my kids or, you know, I'm letting people down. So those are a lot of tricky things that come with a funk. And I think the more we can re- just, just be the funk, <laughs> just be acknowledge the funk. The funk. And kind of become one with the funk, (laughs) trust that, that it will pass. Um, but you have some specific, some, you have written about some specific kind of tactics for moving through that. Um, and I'll just read a couple. Um, one was to indulge in healthy, comforting rituals. And I think healthy is a key word here because when you're in a funk, it's really easy to like escape on bad TV and bad food and bad internet. Um, which kind of provides that immediate escape, but but usually ends up just adding usually. to the spiral. Yeah, yeah, and more guilt and less energy. So, um, you know, you in your in this post that I'll link to in the show notes, um, you talk about you know going for a walk or getting outside. So, kind of defining for yourself what a healthy and comforting ritual would be, which might be different than what you want to do, <laughs> like yeah. just lay in bed. So. Um, and then you also said to embrace and improve reality. And that's kind of what we're just talking about, which is to say, this is where I am right now. And that doesn't mean I can't take baby steps out of this bunk, but, um, you use the example of spending the better part of a day looking at travel deals to get somewhere warmer (laughs) during one winter, (laughs) which is again, like if you're not going to probably book that ticket that day, 
that might be a little more avoidance than anything. Whereas if you just kind of acknowledge where you are and take small steps to improve the current reality might be a better tactic. Yeah. 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 And, and I think there's lots of ways we can do that that don't, that don't have to include spending money. Although sometimes a little retail therapy, it's like, right. it's that spiral, right? It can be like a nice scented hand lotion sometimes puts me in a right. really good mood. I mean, right. I, it's a dumb thing, but it gets me out of my house and doing something for myself and out of my routine. And it just feels like a little indulgence. Um, yeah. You know, this is, this is not really exactly uh, what we're talking about, although kind of is. And I just wanted to bring this up because I read this article and this is maybe a little more of a radical approach, not even an approach. It's more like a, just a mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't specifically about moms. It was maybe in the New York times, like I want to say six months to a year ago. And it was about women's feelings. And this, I think she was a therapist. Her point was, if you find yourself really being really, really grumpy, like, you know, during while you're having PMS or it's like something mm-hmm. cyclical for you mm-hmm. having to do with your harm or your hormones, um, <laughs> maybe you're not the problem. Maybe the maybe you're not being treated very well or your situation isn't great all the time and you're just tolerating it. Oh, that's really the rest of the time. And then you just mm-hmm. hit a breaking point because you get to a point where you're just more fragile. You have less tolerance. You yeah. Have less tolerance. Yeah. And her point was, you know, we 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 look at women's feelings and we try to, and I mean, I don't even want to say medicate them away because that's, that sounds a little bit like I'm dismissive of medication, which I'm totally not, but we don't, we see women's feelings as a problem, like women right. having big feelings one way right. or the other. And sometimes it's just the situation you're in maybe needs to be changed. And, and her, she was a little combative in the article. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, putting up with men's crap was like the problem women are right. all going through and right. they're the problem, right. not us. And okay, maybe that's sometimes true. And but we still have to live with the people that surround us and the lives that we have. Um, But I think sometimes if you're finding that you're freaking out like monthly Mm -hmm. or anytime something gets really hard, you fall apart. Um, Not really hard, but like there's that tipping point, like Mm -hmm. that straw that breaks the camel's back. Maybe it is makes sense to take a step back and go, maybe overall this isn't sustainable, whatever Mm -hmm. it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you're just choosing, you're only able to kind of fall apart. You reach the tipping point, but the issues are there. Regardless. Regardless. I, that is really, that's fascinating. You're putting your head down and powering through the rest of the time right. because you can't, right. but then there's that breaking point. And, I and think- that is, that's such a classic thing that I think a lot of women do is assume that we have to, that functioning at our best is the way things have to be. Right. So then if we're not, there's something wrong with us rather than the opposite, that right. we shouldn't have to function at our best to get through the current reality. Just Does to that power make sense? Through it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'll find that article and link to it because I thought it yeah. was pretty fascinating and a very different way of looking at things like coping and right. feelings and depression and all kinds of stuff um, than what we're used to seeing. I think right. that often there's this focus on like just getting through like whatever you got to do to get through the day and mm-hmm. that somehow that we're the problem. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes it is whatever you know, our schedules or expectations or, um, our partner is not helping us or, you know, our kids are being crappy, (laughs) which we can't do a lot about, but you know, we're not, we don't have enough like creative challenge, you know, like inspiration type stuff there, you know? Yeah. We don't have a strong enough social circle or whatever it is. I mean, there's lots of different things that could be. Um, but if it's a a recurring problem and it's the same Mm -hmm. recurring problem, I think it's worth looking into. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, I want to go back to something you said about a really um, fun scented hand lotion or those little things. Yeah. Um, there's a writer that I will link to who I just love. You and I met her at Mom Two a couple, Mom Two a couple years ago. Um, her name's Jessica Michelson, and she's uh, she's a therapist by oh, yeah. a training, um, but she does all kinds of 
writing and articles and coaching for women, and I think she's great. But one of um, the points she makes a lot is to pay attention to what brings you sensory pleasure, meaning things that are pleasing to your eyes or your body or your sense of smell or your ears. And I think that's such a specific way to think about um, those little, and it might sound trivial, but I don't think it is. Those little things oh, that yeah. perk you up or energize you. And if you, um, I'm someone, I'm very cerebral. I'm in my head a lot. So paying attention to sensory pleasures, and that includes, it can include socks, like really mm-hmm. nice socks that feel really good on your feet or music. Like for me, music is a really good sensory mood pick me up. But because I tend to exist in my head, I think I'm prone to forget about those sensory pleasures. And just for some reason, phrasing it that way is thinking, okay, what would feel good to my body right now? Whether it's like the type of food or exercise or, and to pay attention to the, just the little, the little ways you can have more of that in your day, I think is really helpful getting through whether the, whether we're talking about big hard times or small hard times, we should all have more more things that smell good and feel good. I totally agree. It's very important. And you know, on the flip side, I think it's really easy to get used to things that are displeasing, like Mm -hmm. your pants are too tight. So true. Or, you know, the lighting in your house is bad or there's, there's just different like little things that I think we sometimes just accept and Mm -hmm. deal with Mm -hmm. that we have the power to make a change. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm going to sneeze. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness! This is like the fourth episode of sneezed on. What is going sneezing on? Sneezing is a is a sensory pleasure, though. Yes, I, I love to sneezing. Feels really good. I could have actually stopped that sneeze, but I chose not to because I oh. wanted to experience. Lean it. in, lean into. Yes, the I sneeze. leaned into the sneeze. Um, but just things, you know. There's a lot of little things that I think we just put up with. We don't like the way a wall, a, a color of a wall in our room, and mm-hmm. we think it or in our house, we think it doesn't matter, and it shouldn't be a big deal. But we, I think, underestimate, especially pe- moms who work from home or are stay at home mm-hmm. moms how much our environments affect us and the clothes that we're wearing and Mm -hmm. and all that and how we feel about the way things look and smell and sound. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, good, good tip, Sarah. Good tip. We'll, we'll, um, hat tip that one to Jessica Mm -hmm. Michelson and I will link to all her website and blog posts. She's wonderful for hard times. Um, well, I, I want to kind of shift to talking about how we or when we talk about when things are hard. I think this is a big issue for moms and especially newer moms. I'm finding as I move through motherhood that women are a lot more honest about when things are crappy. But I think in the first few years, especially, it's very hard to uh, like just say, you know, I'm having a hard time right now. And I actually, I had forgotten that I wrote a post about this because probably cause it was in when I was totally in a hard time when I had three kids, five and under. Um, but I wrote a post for the happiest home, um, called why is it so hard to say this is hard and I'll link to it. But, um, the point was kind of, we rationalize why we shouldn't be having a hard time. Like, you know, well, I should be grateful because most things are just fine right now. Everybody's healthy, you know, no, but we don't have any major crises going on. So I don't deserve to feel this way. That's one thing I think we do a lot. Moms Mm -hmm. do a lot. Another one is that somebody else has it way harder. And I do this all the time. It's like, well, yeah, I threw my back out this weekend and that sucked and this and that, but you know, I have a really supportive husband and X, Y, Z. So you sort of like, scorecard it to where you feel like it's not okay to say out loud, I'm having a hard time because somehow somebody else has it harder. Does that? And, yeah. Do, and do you relate? and to be fair, um, moms are very, can be very guilty of one-upping 
mm-hmm. each other on mm-hmm. the who's got it harder. So it's not just yeah. that you're feeling a little guilty about feeling bad when other people have it harder. It's that sometimes right. it, especially I've noticed in certain phases of motherhood, um, it becomes almost like, you know, that there's that sort of switch back and forth between not ever complaining and then the mm-hmm. like complaining marathon. Right, the fish fest. Yes. yes, exactly. Where it kind of becomes like a pile up and a pile yeah. on. And it depends a lot, I think, on the stage you're in, the group mm-hmm. that you're hanging with, like what um what platform you're on. If you're mm-hmm. on Facebook, I think you might see more complaining, you mm-hmm. know, but you're also gonna see a lot of like bragging. So it's like that right. weird right. it's hard to find the stuff in the middle, right? It's, right. Yeah. So definitely I think that that is for sure one of the reasons we don't talk about it. And I also and I, think we, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. The same thing no, go ahead. I was going to say, I think sometimes there's phases of motherhood where we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or we think that if we admit that we're having a hard time, that means we're somehow not doing a good job. Yeah. Or that we're not grateful or right. not like, you know, yeah. kind of like you got yourself in this mess. Like you wanted three kids close together, so right. <laughs> you don't get to complain. I mean, I think right. that, that was my story. Um, and, you know, I, I also struggled with this one, which is I don't want people, I have like a history of not wanting people to worry about me. Mm -hmm. So I, I often will not say, you know, things are kind of hard right now because I'm afraid people are going to jump to the worst possible conclusion, like, and send me off to the funny farm or something. You know what I mean? Well, and some people might, I mean, I think you do have to be somewhat, cause I'm the same way. I don't want people to worry about me. There's actually nothing more annoying to me than sort of, I don't mind like well-placed concern, especially mm. if I'm admitting to something that's really hard for me. Um, right. But I don't like people just assuming things and like feeling sorry, like that pity feeling. Yeah, I that's, I have a really... Casseroles. Like, is that weird? You no, know, <laughs> I, I am the same way. I mean, it, it has to be like commensurate with the, 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 tri- the crisis. So like Agreed. when I had surgery a few years ago, I love that people gave me like virtual handholding and mm. uh, brought me food that made me feel really cared for. And I was a really kind of emotionally hard time, vulnerable time of my life. I don't want to be that vulnerable all the time. <laughs> like right. sometimes I just kind of want to power through, but there are people that I feel like you can select those people yes. that you can share those things with who aren't going to freak out and who yes. aren't going to over respond or overreact. Right. Right. And I think there's, there are some people I think who a lot of their own self-worth is tied up in being a helper. And I don't, that's not a judgment, but you do, there are the people who will show up with casseroles all the time. And I think you and I are probably the same where we resist that a little bit. We just want to be able to say things are hard and I'm doing okay. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, so like, totally. Maybe it's just about knowing yourself and also acknowledging that the people who are going to worry or, you know, really want to support it comes from a good place. They're doing the best they can. And it's yeah. not about, you know, it's not about you needing or not needing that extra support. Right. Um, but all of this is to say, we have a hard time saying, I'm having a hard time or a lot of us do. And I think if we can get over that and choose the right people to be up front with and and even just be up front with ourselves, it's almost always better, wouldn't you agree, to I say totally I'm having agree. a hard time than say everything's fine Every, when it's Well, not. and everything's fine is is also leads to the it helps create the culture of everybody always saying everything's fine. Right. So right. Exactly. But yeah, I think you can just be it's kind of like who would you walk into a room and tell a dirty joke to? You know, you, right. you choose your audience, right? And I think it's the same kind of thing. You choose your audience. Um if you really need a lot of support and a lot of love and that feels like it would really be helpful, maybe you widen your audience and you're less right. selective. And right. if you really just kind of want to vent a little bit and you want right. someone to go, ugh, that sucks, sorry. And that's it. And that's all the reaction you want. You find that person, right. you know, right. we all know who those people are in our lives. Yeah. 
Yep. Totally. And hopefully you have some of each. Yeah. So. Yeah. And whatever you do, saying it out loud to somebody is, I think, almost always better than not saying it all. So even if you send us an email saying, my life is kind of hard right now. And yeah. we just say, I'm so sorry. That really sucks. We probably won't send you a casserole. I have <laughs> we won't, we, we won't. will not show up at I'm, your door with a casserole. I hope that that's okay with you. I'm just letting you know that's not going to happen. But, but I will uh, definitely give you a whole, so sorry, that sucks. <laughs> yes. yes. Fist bump. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe move into talking a little bit about when things really do suck. Um, you wrote a really very honest post about, it's actually the post is called designing a life you love. And it concludes with kind of one of your, uh, I just read a Brene Brown book. So I'm going to borrow this phrase, like face down moments where you realize like, this is not the way I want my life to be. Do you want, do you want to, like tell a short version of that story. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think Which it was, was the one. Was it the one where I was like slumped over my car steering uh, steering wheel? I think so. <laughs> in a parking lot in park. By the way, I'm not like didn't yes. get an accident. Yeah, it was about your kind of poor single mom days, to, yeah. for lack of a better term, and just kind of realizing like this is not what I want my life to be. Yeah. And, but you really, you actually kind of described in a lot of detail what was hard during that time. So yeah, um, I mean the parts I can remember, and of course this is one of those posts I wrote, you know, four or five years ago. Um, maybe not, maybe three years ago. But um, so basically, this was describing a point in my life when um, I was single mom. I had a five and three-year-old maybe, Isaac and Jacob. Um, my husband, John and I were divorced for over a year. Um, and this was during that time. And they were, I had just, you know, nine to five job and they were in daycare and I was, had no money. And I was kind of holding things together most of the time. But I was like one of those moms who always feels like I was never quite on it. Like the kids were going to a Montessori school, you know, in hindsight, in retrospect, I might've done myself a favor and picked a school that had fewer demands on the parents yeah. because there was extremely demanding. Like they weren't allowed to have any packaged snacks in their lunches. And half the time we'd get halfway to school and I'd realize like I didn't have enough stuff for their lunch in the morning. So I had to stop at the store and, you know, but I couldn't buy anything. I couldn't buy any convenience food. So I'd have to like go to the produce aisle. Oh. I mean, it was really stressful. They had to have like a snack or a a nature thing, like once a week, they had to bring a nature share in. And I would literally be standing in the parking lot of our apartment complex, very little nature. Yeah. I'd be like yelling at the kids, go get a stick or a rock. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly the opposite of what yeah. I'm sure the intent was by right. these well-meaning right. teachers. But I was, uh, and so we were always like almost late or just like a minute or two late. Like I was almost, I was almost, always almost there. Like yeah. I was so close, but I yeah. just couldn't pull it through in the end and make it you know, deliver. So then I was always running like three minutes late for work and I'd be so mad at myself. Like, why would I be three minutes late? That's so dumb. Like I could have just left three minutes earlier, but there always was some little crisis that was like three minutes long. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, no matter what I did, I just couldn't seem to like get it all the way together. So I just remember getting to work one day and I just fell apart because I felt like there was so much stuff that I hadn't done that I was supposed to be doing. Like I was just failing in Mm -hmm. small ways on every level. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like one big failure. It was like everything across the board was failing in some small way. Um, and then I just, you know, that was quite, that was a, uh, in large part a um, incentive for me to mm-hmm. fix my life, really. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like that—that's that's a common theme for me, though. Like you know, kind of coming to that breaking point, and going, "Nope, mm-hmm. this isn't going to work this anymore. I got to do work. something completely different." Yeah. Um, luckily, those moments are fewer and farther between now. <laughs> I did a lot of learning in my twenties. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I think it's really helpful to share that. Um, I think I'm going to read this one paragraph because I think I I just want to read it out loud and it sums up what you just said. And then I want to talk about kind of how you came out of this. But um, it says, I constantly felt like a loser, like I was just hanging on by a string, but I couldn't seem to get all the pieces of my life to work together. I didn't mind being at my job and liked the people there, but I wasn't particularly inspired by the work I was doing and absolutely hated being in the car for more than an hour every day. I never felt like I was doing enough for or with my boys, but I felt so beaten down by our circumstances that I couldn't find the energy. I mean, that's that's obviously really honest. Um, and I don't think you're alone in going through times like that where you just feel like no matter what you do, you cannot get it together. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like, I want to hug you. I want to hug oh. that. <laughs> that Megan. Um But you go on in this post, and we'll link to it, to kind of talk about, you just outlined some basic things that you felt like had to change. Um, And you moved closer to, was it closer to work or closer? Closer Closer to to work and the boys' school. Yeah. Um, You wanted to, you didn't want to spend as much time in the car. And you started to think about ways where that could work. And really, this is probably the beginnings of your kind of freelance writing, working from home. So I guess if there's a lesson here, it's that kind of like that rock bottom gave you an opportunity to say, here are the things that I know I want differently in my life. And you kind of listed them out and they didn't all happen right away, but you at least had the kind of like that power in knowing that, that you'd identified them. That's true. And I also think, you know, thinking about this, I think sometimes when you're in a real crisis um, moment like that. The beauty of it is that the things that need to change are pretty simple. It's they're not mm-hmm. necessarily and I don't mean easy. I just right. mean they're right. obvious and yeah. simple. They're comp- yeah. they're not really complicated things. Like I knew part of the reason I was having such a big every morning felt so frenzied was the drive and you know traffic could throw it off by mm-hmm. so much time so it was really hard to gauge that. So I didn't want that anymore and I didn't want to live in the neighborhood we lived in anymore because it was just kind of depressing and brought me down when I was there and I you know and then that sort of gradually led to me thinking, I don't really want to be at this office all day from nine to five. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't able to change all those things right away, but making one little change that made mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we switched schools for the kids because the school they were at just wasn't really fitting our needs. It wasn't anything against the school. I'm sure it's a fantastic school, right. but it wasn't, I didn't like the way I felt when I brought my kids right. there. Right. So that was just another thing. So it was, you know, there's lots of little things and I think I just had to pick one Yeah. and start there. And, and then, and not just and, and not just say, okay, well, this is the way it's going to be. Right. Um, I'm going to stuck or whatever. That's, I think too, sometimes I think people feel stuck, like whatever their circumstance is, but you can always change something and then you can always change something else. Right. Right. 
Um, okay, I'm going to read this one more little part because I think this is a great post. But you said, today, I love my life. It's not perfect, neither am I, but it reflects all the things I wanted for myself and my family all those years ago. But what if on that fateful day when my head was on the freezing cold steering wheel in my rusty old Saturn, I had thought, I don't love my life, and then just gone about business as usual. Nothing ever would have changed. So I think there's, there's yeah. a, whether listeners out there are in one of these really super hard times or have been through something similar or are just tucking it away for future, I think there's some, uh, a lot of really good stuff in here um, and hopefully it brings a little inspiration, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have, I, I think we should touch also on other kind of, bigger well something that just kind of struck me when you were saying this is that there's always there's there's crises you can do something about and there's there's the ones you really can't yeah so like a death in the family you know um i lost both my parents as a mom there was really nothing i could do about like make i couldn't really just make that better i mean right that was going to suck and definitely there were ways to deal with things that were more or less healthy i suppose (laughs) Um, but that's, I think those kinds of things, a move, um, mm-hmm. a new baby who has colic. I mean, those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that you just kind of got to ride out. I, and yeah. I, I think you surround yourself with people who will support you in the way that you need to be supported, which may or mm-hmm. may not include casseroles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you just be really kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think I actually made have written a post about when my dad died and I was, cause it happened while I had my blog yep. and I was just basically like, you know, Hey, I write this whole, and this was when it was the happiest mom. I was like, I write this whole blog about being a happy person, but mm-hmm. I'm not right now. So, yeah. you know, I think there's that and you can't, we can't really grin and bear it through that stuff. We can't really no. solve it. There's nothing you can do to change that. And I think one of the things that comes up during those really terrible circumstances is worrying that the kids are going to suffer or yeah. that you're, irrevocably messing them up. Um, and I think this is a time when it kind of helps to remember that we're first world, most of us fairly lucky and privileged parents parenting very consciously and intentionally and buying organic fruit and, you know, thinking about the schools we send them to. And there's a huge room for some slacking off where the kids will still be just fine. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we get, we, we've like, kind of gotten to this place we where bought we bought ourselves a little wiggle room right exactly <laughs> yeah. like we have to remember that the standard of um acceptable <laughs> care for children uh is the basic level like the bare minimum is much lower than the standards to which we hold ourselves most days absolutely so so when these hurricanes hit so to speak um letting everything go and knowing that the kids will be all right. I mean, that's way easier said than done. But um, if you're someone who's trained yourself to think that, you know, being a good mom means X, Y, Z and every single day, every night and, you know, um, just trust that it doesn't, you know. And again, it's like we keep bringing, we keep coming back to this air with every topic we talk about, I feel like, but it's the big picture. Yes. It's not the day to day necessarily. The day to days all add up to the big picture, but you can skip a few. Um, I'm pretty sure in that post about my dad, I, I said that the kids had gone feral, like yeah. all of our, so my yeah, sister. I actually did find that post this morning and I wasn't yeah. going to bring it up if, in case you didn't, but. want to talk um, about it. Well, and I think, I'm pretty sure my sister essentially moved in with us for like, I don't know, two weeks or something. Yeah. So she had all her kids and my, and the kids just, 
ran amok. I mean, they, I don't know if any of them showered the whole, we were all just dealing with life and like hanging out together. And it was in some ways a really nice time for my Mm -hmm. siblings and I, and then, you know, in a lot of ways for the cousins too. I mean, I think that they, you know, they had lost a grandparent. That's never fun. But I think there was also kind of a sense of like togetherness and and camaraderie that I think was a really special time for them. So I don't really, I had to really let go of any feeling bad because they ate pizza four or five nights a week and didn't really change their clothes a whole lot during that time. Um, I also think that if you, you know, with something really critical, there's a crisis like that in your life. um, Teachers want to know. Yeah. Other adults in your kid's Mm -hmm. life want to know because Mm -hmm. they can help. I mean, they can totally, they'll take the kids and go someplace and get them out of your hands. And, you know, I had, uh, I can't remember now who it was, but friends, family friends who let our kids spend the night there. And, you know, they all came back showered and like clean and they probably ate a real meal. I mean, people are willing to do that stuff for you. That's so true. They would rather know than not. That's so true. Teachers in particular, if you think of how many students they deal with over the years, they have seen, unfortunately, some pretty crazy you know, family trauma situation. So um, in some ways, being a step removed and also experienced in that way, you know, can really probably be a safe place for a kid just just by knowing, even if they don't do anything. Right. Absolutely. Um, Do you remember anything else that just kind of this may not have an answer, but just that kind of helped you or kind of um, lifted some of the burden in those times, especially I'm thinking of the deaths of your mom and dad. Uh, no, I think time, I think just kind of like going a little head down in it for a little bit and then coming up with ways to kind of just baby step back into my life the way it was. Yeah. Cause otherwise it would have been really easy just to stay. And I'm not even talking about like grief. I'm talking about just to stay in that sort of disorganized chaotic state. Squalor. Yeah. Squalor. Um, (laughs) At some point, I kind of had to just shake myself off and take a step back toward right. regular life. And yeah. it's not like it wasn't like I did it all in one day. Um, but and then that made me feel better, too. I mean, there's yeah. stages of grief and like everyone does it differently. And sometimes yeah. you don't get hit by it till a year later. And that's fine. And that's normal, too. Yeah. But at some point, it's like life does go on. It sounds yeah. crass, but it does. And yeah. so we all have to kind of figure out how to get back into it. Yeah. For ourselves. So And I think I think you'd agree with this too, that if you have the benefit of a spouse who, you know, you can share and be aligned yeah. with, um, that that is a great place to start. I, I'm not like first inclined to just like pour my heart out at the end of the day to my spouse, even though he's very supportive, mostly because I'm tired of talking and yeah. it just feels <laughs> easier to turn on the TV. But uh every time I do kind of you know, just unload a little bit, not in a bitching, complaining way, but you can, you know, you can live side by side and co-parent with somebody and kind of forget that you can lean on each other emotionally too. And I I think that's, um, if it takes a crisis to really lean on each other, but also I think in the smaller funks, if you, if you have a good relationship with your partner or your spouse, not to, you know, not to forget that that's there. It can be easy when you're in, when, when there's kids around all the time, but, um, Hey, Free, free therapy right there on yes. your couch. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, so, well, uh. yeah, I feel like, um, should we touch on some of the more like postpartum depression, depression, anxiety? I feel yeah, like whether sure. or not we have experience, I feel like that's a good place to wrap up and also, you know, probably mention some resources that we are fans of in that area. But yeah. have you, have you had any experience with either postpartum or any other kind of clinical? You know, it's a really good, that's a good question. I, you know, in retrospect, looking back, 
I think I did have some postpartum depression with Isaac. Now, here's the thing. Um, I'm not even sure if there's a consensus about whether hormones cause postpartum depression or whether it can be situational or whether mm. it can be lack of sleep or if all those things just add up, you know, kind of combine. Um, so it was very, I was in the stage, he was my second baby and I was very mm. invested in doing everything perfectly with him, even mm. more so than I had been with Jacob. And he was a more difficult baby. And, um, we also had moved, we were living in this apartment, like on the third floor in Minnesota in February. It was, and I didn't have any family around. So like all of these things right. added up to me being, extremely depressed for probably like three months mm -hmm. at the time I sort of downplayed it because mm -hmm. I just thought oh I'm just feeling kind of in a funk like I just don't really feel like doing it. I'm bored that's you mm -hmm. know and I, I'm starting to think now that all those things contribute and it still counts you know I just I wouldn't have said at the time right. like I have postpartum depression right but looking back now right I think it's pretty evident I had something that looked like postpartum depression yeah. <laughs> even if I maybe never would have been diagnosed with clinical depression or anything like right. that um yeah, I think so. Another experience I had that was really weird that, again, at the time, I didn't really think about having anything to do with, with postpartum was when William was about like six to eight months old, I went through this crazy um, phase of anxiety mm -hmm. where I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking people were breaking into the house. I mean, I like went kind of just off my mm -hmm. gourd for like a month and John would wake up and see me like running around the bedroom looking out the window like hiding behind the curtains and stuff. <laughs> I was convinced like the train that went by our house was going to derail and hit our house. I mean, I just hit, had yeah. all these yeah. uncontrollable sort of anxiety thoughts. And finally, he when I woke up and said, do you need help? Like, this is not normal. Something mm -hmm. is wrong. And it started to kind of go after that. Like, I really figured out a way to fall asleep. I don't even now remember mm -hmm. how I did it. This was a long time ago. But later, I read that, that there can be kind of like a hormone. Um, it was when I was starting to... Not wean, but he was yeah. When the, solids. yeah, when you said six to eight months, that's exactly yeah. what I pictured. Like when your yeah. supply goes down, they start to eat a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and there can be some kind of like hormonal shift that can lead to uh, mood swings or differences. And again, mm -hmm. like, did I have quote postpartum anxiety unquote? I don't know. And I regret now that at those times I wasn't more aware. I think that yeah. that was a term that was thrown around, but it, to me, what I was experiencing didn't look the way yeah. I thought that well, would. Well, isn't that isn't that so? I think that is like such a common thing if it doesn't look like what you've read about in right which a blog post yeah or those days there weren't even really I was yeah you know, there were blogs but it was mostly just books and stuff and I pictured just like a mom holding a newborn like crying uncontrollably yes. and that wasn't yes. me so I didn't think that yeah. therefore I might um, be suffering with uh, yeah. struggling with postpartum depression or anxiety so I didn't really look into it and now I'm so glad that moms now have so many more resources that we can get into in a minute, but I just, yeah. those are my experiences. I don't really know what they would be called if I had gone to see someone. Um, right. and maybe, you know, they worked themselves out and, and it was okay, but right. at the same time, I probably could have benefited from, especially in the case with Isaac, because it did go on for so long. Right. I probably really could have benefited from someone to talk to at the very least. Yeah. Or at least just having the knowledge that other people experience similar things right. and that it isn't just you like needing to get a life or get out of the house. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. So with Allegra, when she was first born, um, I feel like I'd get gotten like brochures about postpartum depression and had a pretty good, um, I was actually starting to read blogs and stuff at that point. She was born in 2008 and I feel like I had started to like, you know, read other writers who were moms and stuff. But I felt like postpartum depression was like this big thing and a, and a very real thing. Um, 
And I sort of skipped all the parts about the what quote unquote baby blues or the hormonal blues. And the way I understand the difference, at least then, and I think this is still true, is the hormonal blues that can often come right after birth are kind of like a shorter, more intense period of like pretty significant hormonal like blues, whereas postpartum depression tends to come on a little bit later and stay a little bit longer. Stay, That's yep. but, but I completely like glazed over the hormonal blues part. Um, I knew like signs to watch for postpartum depression, but I had one of the most extreme hormonal dips that I've ever had in any other kind of hormones. I am not like a PMSer really. I may get a little grumpy like for one day, but I wouldn't say my and pregnancy hormones didn't do anything. I knew people who were weepy during pregnancy. I was I was neither high nor low. I was just pretty normal. And so I had very intense it felt like a cloud. Like I knew I was supposed to be happy and I had a healthy baby. The birth hadn't been traumatic. Like everything was fine. My recovery was fine. And I knew that I was like happy, but I wasn't. It was very strange and I'd never experienced anything like it before. And I, it was probably like two weeks in and I cried all the time, like all the time. Even if somebody did something nice for me, like, you know, made me cookies, I would cry. Like they were kind of like those, you know, like happy tears, but it wasn't, it was more like couldn't control the tears, tears. And I think that's a, that I hear that consistently. Like when you just like, there's literally water falling from your eyes and you don't know why. Um, and it was a little bit scary. And I mean, it was this, again, this is in the first two weeks of motherhood. So everything else has also changed. But finally, toward the end of that, I started Googling like baby center and kind of actually was reassured at how normal that was. And also that for a lot of people, that that kind of lifts. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to experience six months of depression. Right. So I guess for me, like researching a little bit, it actually helped. And it did. It was like, I mean, in the span of two or three days, the fog completely lifted. So I don't know if that's a normal, like it just, that felt like a pretty extreme hormonal dip. And thankfully, I kind of was able to identify it at least after a week or two. And then about three weeks later, it just was gone, totally gone. And I didn't have any other kind of postpartum depression or anxiety. I remember I worried about that happening again when I had my second baby. I was like, I do not want that to happen again. And my doctor yeah. was like, well, she's like, probably the fact that you will expect it will make it a lot less. And that was true. I remember having a couple of times where I just kind of cried at the kitchen counter, but it felt more like a just, I'm overwhelmed because I have a toddler and a new baby kind of cry and yeah. not this sort of, it felt like just very unnerving. Like it wasn't my emotions. It was like these, they were being like laid on top of yours. <laughs> yes. It was very strange. And for yeah. someone who up to that point had not had any real mental health challenges. It was like, what the, yeah, you know, what is happening? Um, and then the other thing I'll add is that I do think I've had shades of anxiety over the course of my adult life and never put that capital A name on it until right. recently. And mine, mine manifests in physical symptoms, which I know I'm not the only person because I know people get either headaches or stomach aches. Um, but I on and off will get like a shortness of breath when I'm not like running on a treadmill. And I always kind of like had this hypochondriac worry that I was going to like, you know, have Die. a embolism. Or yeah, it's really... You know, it's really helpful if you, well, you have anxiety. Yes. Um, but I've, you know, I've been thoroughly checked out medically by my doctor and I've just learned a little bit more about that. That is a symptom of anxiety. What's funny for me is I don't always feel like you said you woke up in the middle of the night worried someone was going to break in. Mm -hmm. I can sometimes have the physical symptoms of anxiety when I literally I can check in with myself and I'm not 
worried about anything. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, like free floating panic or whatever they call it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like non-specific, but, um, but the physical symptoms are still there. And so I've tried to kind of connect that sometimes it's maybe after the fact, if I go through a stressful time period, then I might expect some of those physical symptoms to like catch up with me. So it's basically just made me kind of want to take better care of yeah. my physical and mental health. Um, but again, I think you made the really good point that these things can look like many different things. And if it doesn't look like what the pamphlet you got from your doctor, you can either wonder if you're normal or think that it's nothing, but it may right. just be your way. I don't know. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that's so true. I mean, I'm looking right now at the Mayo Clinic's list of symptoms of postpartum depression. It's a huge list yeah. that I couldn't even go into, but it's everything from you know, difficulty bonding with your baby, which I think is a lot of times what we assume it might mm-hmm. look like to anxiety, anger, feel mm-hmm. feelings of shame, worthlessness. I mean, there's just like tons of stuff. Yeah. And even each of these bullet points probably encompasses tons of sub bullet points of how it could look for you. So I, I mean, I think, you know, I think the point is, if it's, it's just because something is normal or happens to a lot of people doesn't mean you have to just deal with it on your own. I mean, it doesn't right. mean you just have to suck it up. So right. if it's something for you that comes and goes without impacting your life too much and you can kind of get through it and it's, you know, you give yourself a little, give yourself a little space and time and, and I don't know, cut yourself some slack and it passes, then great. But if not, if you're still dealing with it and it's becoming worrisome, there's no harm in looking into further what it could be, even if maybe you won't end up with that as your end diagnosis. Maybe there's something else. Like I, um, you were talking about the free for the anxiety. I used to get on Sundays, I didn't really realize this again. This was one of those things I didn't figure out until in retrospect. But when I had my office job and my life was really mm-hmm. hard, I used to get like around five o'clock on Sundays, my heart would start racing mm-hmm. and I would start like panicking and I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out why I would just be normal. Like I didn't feel mm-hmm. bad about it. nothing was particularly stressful. Right. Right. It was just this free floating thing. And so, yeah, that was that postpartum. I mean, my kids were three and five. No, yeah. probably not. It wouldn't have been termed that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a real thing right. that maybe right. I could have gotten some help with. So it's worth looking into regardless, I guess, I, my point. I totally agree. And don't you think we've come a long way in where now taking care of our bodies, nutrition and self-care and exercise are kind of glorified, you know, as yeah. like taking charge of our health as women and yet mental health, being proactive about mental health, I don't think has the same <laughs> sex appeal. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good resources for when you are struggling and encouraging people to get health. But I also think there's like a proactive side, like what do you need to do to take care of your emotional and mental health so that you aren't in a funk or so that you don't fall into a dip and that doesn't get as much airtime, I feel like. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like we go yeah. to the gym to keep our body strong or we eat healthy to do X, Y, Z. Um, I think it's, I think it's great to think about what are we doing proactively to just stay, you know, mentally and emotionally there. So yeah, I think absolutely. that's, um, I don't know. I've shared this with you. I totally have been like on a self-help kick the last like six months or so. So um, I do think reading, you know, you don't have to go to therapy, reading great books or reading really inspiring, you know, online writers, just, I mean, there's apps for mindfulness and meditation you can get doing those things. I feel like isn't necessarily saying, oh my gosh, I have capital D depression, which it's okay if you do, but it's also like, I'm going to floss my teeth every day because then I will avoid gum disease or, you know, so I think there's, I think we can reframe how we think about some of those things as not a sign of weakness, but proactive 
care. Yeah, for sure. Well, in that note, should we should we share some resources? I know. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Coughing and sneezing and gagging <laughs> on my own spit. It's really just tragic over here today. Um, one of the ones I obviously wanted to mention is postpartumprogress.com. Yes. That's a great, great resource if you think you may uh, be struggling with postpartum depression, or even if you just want to read about it, because maybe it'll help you help someone else. I think it's worth yeah. just Or you wonder if you did, like you. I yeah. think sometimes going, going back and connecting those dots can be helpful. Yeah. Um, so even if your kids are four and six, but you just kind of want to understand that better. Um, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. So that's postpartumprogress.org. Is that right? I know. We'll... I think it's a dot com. Maybe okay. she's got them both now. Okay. Um, well, we will definitely link to that. Um, and if you Google is... postpartum progress, yeah. it's Ka- it's Catherine Stone's site. Yeah, it's great. So yeah. Um, what else have you? I mean, are there any like books or blogs? I mentioned Jessica Michelson, who's um, I will link to. Um, she does I think weekly emails, and she does some um, coaching programs and journaling programs um, for women. She's just great. Um, what else? I've I just read one of Brene Brown's books and I think her work is great. Her Ted talks and her books are great. Um, whether you're in a funk or not, I think she's just pretty smart. Um, Um, you know, I don't want to be too self-serving, but if you go back (laughs) through the archives of the happiest home, we, we went into lots and lots about self-care and finding more happiness as a mom and getting through hard times. And And the the mom, I think there are like four posts about mom funks. Yeah. It must've been really funky. You are funky. Um, so we will link to all of those, but again, even just, um, going to the happiest home and typing in search terms, um, so it is postpartumprogress.com is Catherine's yeah. site. And I think .org uh, and .com both lead you there. So Okay, perfect. You cannot go wrong. I feel like we're prob- there's probably other amazing resources that we're forgetting. I, I would almost just say that whatever, um, just find something. Just yeah, read anything. something. I mean, go to the library or Google online. But um, I think we talked about in a recent episode that books are almost less daunting sometimes than yeah. a rabbit hole of internet articles. Cause, and books are, are generally by more legitimate people sometimes more comprehensive. Too. So you just get more depth, which I think is something. And some of the crap has been weeded out. Yeah. Like, and I, I think you, know, you and I could write an article about postpartum depression and not be maybe fully, fully uh, aware, credential fully ex- to do well, so. And I, and I think also like what we were getting at before is, uh, it's easy just to read those glossy little snippets about it and then not really understand it. Um, so getting into something more comprehensive, I think, is helpful. Read. Also, you know, maybe people could, maybe listeners could give us their recommendations. Um, they could leave a comment on the show notes post, great. which would be yeah. at the mom hour. And, but did I just forget? I almost forgot what I was saying. The mom hour.com. And because <laughs> you know, I always do that part. Episode 42. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know what the show is called. Sarah Where takes care I? of that for me. <laughs> um, episode 42, you can leave us a comment. You can always send us an email. Yep. Hello at themomhour.com. And yeah, people just share your stories. I think it always feels better to share your stories. And it sounds corny, but if you are experiencing something like this, you are not alone, period. Not only are you not alone, but you're in the club. So yep. welcome. Welcome. <laughs> On that note, I guess that's a good time to wrap up. Anything we need to add or any housekeeping? Um, I no, I just, I mean, continue to email us, continue to subscribe and tell your friends. And we've got some fun things in the works for the next few weeks. So, um, just keep coming back. That's all I got. All right. See you next week, everybody. Bye.
everyone. We have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the Mom Hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to. If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.